It's the Bartender Journey Podcast. My name is Brian Vincent Weber. Thanks for listening. This is the podcast that talks all about cocktails and bartending, spirits, and travel. I know, uh, well, this is going to be the final, final episode from my trip. I, I think last time I said I'll speak to you from home, but uh, we got one more in the can here. I was lucky enough to have a great tour of the brand new Telemore Dew Distillery by Kevin Piggott. And uh, this is the brand new distillery. They have a um, visitor center where anybody could go, but I was lucky enough to get a tour of the real distillery, which is just completely state-of-the-art and uh, very impressive. They do everything from they, the grain is delivered to the site and everything else from, uh, from the milling and the uh, distilling and the bottling and the, or well, the aging before the bottling, obviously. And uh, anyway, it's all done right there on site in this very impressive facility. So I was lucky enough to uh, get a great tour from Kevin Piggott. Here we go. Yeah, say that again. So the, the distillery had closed in what, what The original period? distillery closed in 1954. Yeah. Irish whiskey and Ireland as a whole in the 50s, even the 60s, there was no swinging 60s in Ireland. There were very bleak times economically, socially. As we even reach into the 70s, Ireland was one of the poorest countries in Europe, very uh, conservative as a nation, and I think the shift change has been incredible. If you've spent some time in Dublin, Dublin is now uh, one of the most uh, expensive cities we're seeing in Europe. Um, the country has got far more prosperous. We've got headquarters and major corporations here. Are, we have full employment at the moment. Mm. So um, there's I been see lots of construction going on. A lot of sh- construction. They're calling it Crane City. My dad's in construction, so he's liking it right now. But that's leading to um, two things happening. One, a lot of distilleries being built with the excitement. Equally, a lot of ones are going to struggle because they're sort of jumping on a bandwagon. This isn't what they do. We're 190 years old. Okay, that's 190 years old, sixth-generation distillers. A lot of people are, you know, picking names out of the out of history that, you know, are pretty loosely fine and going, okay, we're now that person's whiskey or whatever that might be. So there's always going to be a bit of that. Our history of the town is quite interesting. So in 1785, the town burnt down. And the first thing you meet when you enter the distillery is this emblem of the phoenix, so rising from the ashes, this significance. It's a global icon. Loads of people are familiar with it. But it's actually been the town emblem since 1785. So it's quite cool that we have that. We just thought it was fitting because after 60 years, we've made the historic reason to come home where we were originally being distilled. And it's not an ideal place to build because, as I said, the water we sourced from the mountains 14 kilometers away. Yeah. So you have to we're, truck that in? We have to pipe it in. Pipe. So we have a pipeline that costs a lot of money to put down because yeah. you imagine you've got to pay people's <laughs> land that you're crossing and all that. So we bring the water from uh, an open water stream in the mountain. And then uh, the second thing is we're built on the bog. So we're on the biggest bog in Europe. It's called the Bog of Allen. So you've got this peat, this decomposed marshy soil that we're built on. So a third of the money of the distillery has gone into the ground, the foundation. Mm. You know, ever since the Titanic, Irish people are nervous about things sinking. So, (laughs) you know, too soon? Too soon? Maybe. Um, So here we are, you know, and it was a terrible place to build for structural reasons, but it was the right thing from a provenance standpoint. Now, Whiskey, we don't talk about provenance as much as we would with wine. We talk about provenance a lot more. But for whiskey, it was really important to say, you know, well, where's your distillery? Oh, we make Tullamore Dew in Dublin. Really? Yeah. You know, <laughs> and we would have got a lot more tourists. We would have, you know, but you made a distinguished effort today. And thank you for making it outside of the path less traveled. You know, okay, if you go to New York City, it's beautiful. But what about going up to Hudson? Hudson Valley, some beautiful, sometimes if you go a little bit further, you find some hidden gems. 
And uh, we are in this heart of Ireland. The Midlands is quite a beautiful terrain. If you go about five miles, you can get up on a, onto a trail and you work your way up into a ridge at Kippard. It's a mountain sort of space and you've probably one of the best central views of Ireland. So you can see the Wicklow Mountains south of Dublin. You can see the Tipperary Mountains, maybe 70 miles. On a clear day like today, you'll have one of the best views of distance of Ireland. So it's, it's insane. Um, you know, it's just a, quite a historic area. Um, 30 minutes from here is Clonmacnoise. The Annals of Clonmacnoise. Clonmacnoise is a monastic site. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a book called The Annals of Clonmacnoise, and it documents the first written record of whiskey that oh. I'm familiar with. 1405, which would predate the Red Book of Orsary. Tell me if you have contrary <laughs> thoughts or opinions. <laughs> But, um, you know, the Irish pretty much are, are well noted for inventing whiskey and actually were the nearest living distillery to the origins of whiskey. The reason that, you know, the Catholic Church connection with the place and the Pope, the previous Pope John Paul would have visited on one of his trips to Ireland. So it's a very historic, significant place, but because of the religious connection, it doesn't get overly tourist popularized as a... Um, come here to see the origins of whiskey and pray to God. You know, those two <laughs> things didn't always align. Right. Although, ironically enough, you know, the monks are the, the starting point, the learned yeah. people who could read and write and, and effectively distill. Yeah. So here we are in the new distillery, 100 million on a bog in the middle of Ireland. Um, gone just, from, just opened, right? Just, just opened. How, how long? 2014. So we're four yeah. and a half years old. We're a baby. <laughs> um, but it, it's great to be home. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've been all around the world with Tullamore and it's nice to be able to say Tullamore is made in Tullamore. Yeah. Uh, it's just a nice feeling. So it's exciting to be back. We started with 16 employees. We've got 96 now, 97. Uh, we do grain to glass on site. So everything. A lot of distilleries can't do that, right? They don't have the space. Or, and we were like, no, we want everything on the one site. So that's efficient from an energy produce, yeah. but it keeps the full quality control. That We're not outsourcing or bottling and we're not doing the warehousing separately. We literally mill mash, ferment, distill. So milling to distilling all on one floor. We bring it outside into our filling store, put it into casks, down into our warehouses. We do our maturation and bottling on site. So it's quite cool to be doing grain to glass of three styles of Irish whiskey. We only make three styles of whiskey in Ireland, single malt, single pot still, and single grain. So we're a very unique, we're the only distillery in the world that would do that. So it's quite unique, quite cool. Yeah. yeah. No, I, lo- I love that it's aged right on property. You know, I've, I've seen... Uh, a lot, especially in the cities now, mm-hmm. they, they really can't do it. And I, I guess even legally, it's mm-hmm. they, they they're have very problems. constrained. Yeah, it's challenging with fire regulations, with right. households and things like that. We're, we're lucky. We've got two facilities. What where we are now is our VIP facility. This is our production facility where we make our whiskey. But in town, we have the historic site of one of our old bonded warehouse. That's where we have our gift shop, our visitor center tours, where you learn about and taste. You know, you get to taste different whiskeys that we have in our range. And you also get to learn about the history of the town, Daniel Edmund Williams, him rising up, you know, Desmond introducing, moving from this circular bottle to the more square slab bottle today that is actually quite different to most Irish whiskies. If you think about every other Irish whiskey, you can probably think of 80% of them, maybe 90% are circular bottles. So it was a great way to stand out at the time. And that slogan, give every man his due, um, really took off people across different countries like that hard work ethic associated with it and knowing that he came from nothing to, to build a distillery. Yeah. Uh, so outside it says, it, there's a big copper sign at the front, it says Tullamore Distillery. It doesn't say Tullamore Jew mm-hmm. because that's what we started out at, 1829. It wasn't until the 1880s when we added DEW when Daniel started working there in the 60s and subsequently running it in the 80s. Mm-hmm. So it's the late 80s it becomes Tullamore Jew. Right. 
Um, but Tullamore Distillery, those, that copper sign out the front will oxidize over time, and much like your Statue of Liberty, not too far from your hometown, um, it'll oxidize over time and go into a green color. Now, research has told me the Statue of Liberty took between 15 and 20 years to eclipse into that color, so it'll be cool to see how our copper outside will eclipse into a green sign. We're whiskey people, we're patient, you know, if it, if it, it has if, to be. Yeah, otherwise we'll just take it down and put up in a green sign, but I, I, th- I think we're okay. So we have rituals here in the distillery and things you have to do when you're in Tullamore. And the first one is you have to dress up like one of the original workers. And we have a picture here from 1905. The guys are depicted in shirts, hats, ties, waistcoats. They're a little like Peaky Blinders. Have you ever seen yeah, that TV show? Great show. So these are the Tullamore Peaky Blinders. So we'd like you to throw on a jacket of your choice and a hat, and we'll get a picture of you. Brilliant. Okay. Go <laughs> Sounds for. great. Now, feast your eyes on what wow. I think is probably <laughs> one of the cleanest distilleries ever. Yeah. Wow. If you do find a cleaner one, I'll see it. Hard to imagine. That's unbelievable. It's huge as well. So here is where a brew house meets a still house. We brew our beer and then we distill it. So milling to distilling. We use wet roller mills, obviously for safety regarding dust. So you, you understand yeah. with some of the dust you have to watch because pebbles come in with it. So if you have stone rubbing it mm. on, you can cause a spark. That's where a lot of explosions happen. Distilleries not actually with alcohol going on fire, which is interesting to know. Mm. So we essentially have our... Our wet mill, because we use raw barley, we need to soften the husk, the, the outer shell of, of the grain, sure. to infiltrate those sort of an ex, uh, layers of the grain and expose the starch. And our two vessels here, we've got a mash conversion vessel and a louter ton. This is where we separate, essentially, the liquids from the solids. We extract the fermentable sugars. We've got 12 tanks down there, so we do 12 batches at a time. Uh, there are stainless steel fermenters. That's where we make our beer. Yeah. Okay, we get about 10% of our, our alcohol, so it's quite strong. Nine and a half, ten percent 10% right now, so it's quite good. We use stainless steel because we want to be quite... They're easier to clean. You get better consistency. Right. You know, sometimes with the wooden ones, you got you have to send it out through a heat exchanger and back, so you're I more likely I to get... I can't imagine stuff. the woods is importing all that much flavor at that stage so, anyway, right? <laughs> yeah, I guess, I guess the funny thing is, you know, people say, oh, Oregon pine is necessary. Well, for three days... What do you think a wood gives to a barrel when for three years you typically put it minimum in a cask? So, yeah. you know, I think that tells its own tale. Um, but every distillery is different, in honesty. Um, you can't judge a bit fish by how it climbs a tree. Every <laughs> distillery has its own nuance, its own idea, its own style of what it wants to do. Uh, Aiden today is running the plant. Uh, he's one of the distillers on today. He's been with us for quite a while. I want to say since day one. Is that right? Um, yeah, he's quite a good character, actually. And it's, uh, it's good to see him out there. You're seeing him doing something you rarely get to see him yeah. do. What's he doing there? And it looks like he might be opening the still or tightening it. So I don't mm-hmm. know if he's checking something in it or not, but we'll go out and see. All right. um, but yeah, you can see it's quite clinical. Yeah. The reason being is that we have a very particular duty. We have to make the Big Mac of whiskeys, okay? <laughs> no matter where you go, it has to taste the same. If you're in the East Village in New York City... You know, sitting in the Cooper's Craft and Kitchen in 5th and 2nd, or if you're in the brewery tap down the road in Tullamore, we need to get that consistency of Tullamore being the same. Sure. To strive for that, 
a very clinical environment allows to recreate and recreate the same liquid over and over. We have a yeah. very complex spirit of three styles of whiskey blended together, of different ages, matured in different barrels, of different spirit strengths. So it's a very difficult process, but that's why the master blender gets paid more than everyone else. <laughs> right. So that's just how it is. Um, but after we have our beer, so we do a three-day fermentation, which is quite sort of standard across the, a lot of distilleries, there, thereabouts, and uh, we'll go down and finally we'll distill. So we have six stills. They're made by Foresight. So you'll see they're beautiful stills because yeah. they're essentially riveted. You'll see a lot of cheaper stills. If they don't have the money, they'll have to get flanges on them. So they're just essentially uh -huh. like, they look like Lego pieces. They've just put the neck on the top, but you can see right. that these are actually riveted so from the inside. So they just look so seamless. If you look at some of the old distilleries in Ireland, they were all sort of separate panels put on. They, they weren't as sexy right. as these ones. They're very expensive. The, the biggest one, our pots, is about 33,000, no, sorry, 23,500 litres. Mm. And it's, you know, it's about 135,000 to buy. You know, they're quite yeah. beautiful, but incre incredibly big um, parts of our process. Right. So this is where we... Um, have an interesting thing. So we triple distill in Ireland. Obviously, it's sort of quite typical because um, it's part of our belief system that you create a more mellow whiskey, but at the same time, you're creating more flavors yeah. in a very different way. So this is quite like an interesting subject because people have a lot of counter arguments. But um, what's interesting is I've looked at a lot of Scottish distilleries lately and they're slowing down their distillations and going for longer periods of time, saying that the increased copper contact in helps flavor development. Mm -hmm. But traditionally, they were saying no, you know, don't distill another time. But essentially, instead of us running 300, 100-meter races, they're running two 150. Right. So very similar um, approaches to the same thing. Right. Um, <laughs> we're, we're watching a man trying to open a still here, a little, like uh, someone trying to like open a jam jar in front of a large crowd. <laughs> right. And uh, probably a little difficult to watch. Well, it's, uh, it's always so interesting how the how the copper um, affects the, the, the final product, and then the, the, the reflux is something that's um, really interesting. So I guess you'll, you, by triple distilling, you're actually going through more stages of reflux, right? Yeah, that's true. Uh, in addition, if you think about it, what is distillation? It's separating your alcohol from your water, concentrating your alcohol, but you're also using copper for its benefits and stripping impurities. Mm -hmm. If you're stripping more impurities out of your liquid, arguably you've got a purer spirit, correct? Mm -hmm. So by logic, a pure spirit would probably indicate less aldehydes. So you're probably talking about less of a hangover. Mm. You know, it actually is a pure spirit. Yeah. So some of the key contributors of hangovers would be attributed to so like for like. But those differences are relatively small, but still an interesting sort of discussion. And I'm not saying triple distilled is better. It's just different. Yeah. Yeah. We love triple distilled. I think a lot of people like mellow whiskeys that they can sip on, that they can savor. You can answer if you want. No. no. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we're, we're very proud, and we've got something that works. You know, we've got a liquid that people love. Yeah. In the U.S. right now, we're, um, we're growing incredibly fast. This year, we're 18% up, I think we're... Wow. Um, which is... Al already, it's our biggest market. To be in double-digit growth with that strength is really good. Yeah. Uh, you know Tim Hurley, our yeah. famous uh, <laughs> ambassador, probably one of the most well-known Irish ambassadors around the world. He's yeah. sort of done some incredible things in the states he did the world's largest irish coffee in chicago last year yeah uh he did those, the, uh, I think, uh, over 200 gallons he did 50 states in 30 days yeah 50, <laughs> that was amazing That's to watch that on four, facebook he was four hours in honolulu i don't know how he did it but 
That is an impressive feat. Yeah. And uh, to do an event or a radio show or something rep, rep, promoting the whiskey and then finishing in New York on St. Patrick's Day, it doesn't get any better. <laughs> um, so we'll come outside. Let's have a look at how we make our whiskey end-to-end. And any questions you have, let me know. Great, thanks. It's showing a shift change in whiskey. I know, like, my granddad likes whiskey, and he'll slap an ice cube out of your hand. But <laughs> equally, you know, younger people are getting into whiskey, male and female. They're drinking it in old fashions in Manhattans in, uh, on ice with, with ginger, with tonic. Tully and tonic is now a thing. So yeah. um, the world is changing. I think we're learning, you know, people should drink whiskey whatever way they want. Right. Um, you know, yeah, I prefer it neat, but you know what? On a sunny day like today, yeah. you know, a cold day, maybe I want an Irish coffee to warm me up. On a, on a nice hot day in New York in the summer, maybe I want a bit of tonic in there too to yeah. make it refreshing. So <laughs> it's nice to have that flexibility in the liquid that we didn't have before. I think before we were very old-fashioned and we were like, no, you cannot do this and that. And they had the distiller always laughs like, I make whiskey for people to enjoy it whatever way they enjoy it. So we're not that steadfast. There's nothing yeah. wrong. Some, people, some brands are, and they just have a different view on their whiskey. But I think Irish people don't, in general, take ourselves too serious. <laughs> where, you know, we take it serious how we make our whiskey, and we'll, right. we'll demonstrate that today. But we're not... Um, we're lighthearted, but we're wholehearted. All right? <laughs> okay, so here we go. Here we go. Just a huge facility. Yep, so this is where we make our single malt, malt and our single pot still. Okay, so we've got the mill on the right hand side where we break down the grain, our mashed on here. Uh-huh. Okay, a mashed conversion vessel. It's warm and it's empty, so it's just finished. Mm-hmm. And the liquid must be in the louder tun. So if we look into the louder tun, we can see the liquids there being stirred around very slowly by the grain. A little like scrambled eggs, if you don't stir it, it's (laughs) gonna stick to the pan, yeah? Yeah, yeah. And we don't want it to burn, we don't want it to stick. We're essentially allowing the bed underneath to slowly let all those sugars filter through our mesh at the floor, like essentially sieving rice, right? Right, Letting the water drain out at the bottom, bringing that liquid through and leaving the residual grain behind. So how long will it be in this in here? Um, about three hours, two and a half to three hours. Uh-huh. About 45 minutes more for the pot still. Um, then we transfer down to our fermenters. So you can see we've got 12 of these. They always remind me of R2-D2s, but <laughs> that's a, probably too many Star Wars thoughts here. So uh, we're getting a beer, about nine and a half, ten percent We can have a little look at it here. Yeah. Just, uh, watch your glasses, don't fall <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Mm. So quite early, first half of fermentation, lots of bubble, lots of CO2. Sure. Quite intense. Uh, if you put your head right in, you get a big CO2 smack and it's quite Woo. intense. <laughs> um, so that's a byproduct. Yeah, it smells um, good there. It does, so and the, lovely uh, colour. So the CO2 is, uh, what happens with that? It's just yeah, piped so outside? It's, yeah, or? it's piped outside yeah. and just released in certain stages. Um, yeah, if you get onto it, if we ke- keep growing, you can essentially get to a stage where you'd bottle it. And I think you can sell it back to the, like, mm. you can actually sell it. Right. And they, they'll use it in another production form. So it'd be cool if we ever get to that stage. <laughs> From an energy standpoint, we're one of the most energy efficient distilleries in Ireland. We use a lot of heat exchangers. Mm. Uh, we use a lot of um, recuperation techniques to recover heat from our distillation so we're not wasting it in terms of latent heat from a distillation. So uh-huh. 
when you think of William Grant, they have many, many distilleries. They use the learnings of multiple distilleries to bring this as a, a blueprint for what a future distillery would look like. Right. You can think you go to Scotland, some beautiful distilleries, although they're steeped in history, they're very old and antiquated systems they're using. We're very fortunate here to have one of the most modern distilleries. So we've got like your iPhone and your, uh, iWa your iPhone watch, right? Yeah. You've got the newest microprocessor, the newest battery, the newest technology. So it allows you to do things you wouldn't normally be able to do. So we'll go into the control room in a second, but these on the left-hand side, the three beautiful stills represent our, our triple distilled single pot still whiskey. And on the right, our triple distilled single malt. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we've got a wash still, a low wine still, and a spirit still, which is the nearest one to us. And the same on this side. So we triple the still, we bring the alcohol from uh, 20 proof to about 40 proof, all the way eventually up to the distillations to about 162 proof. So after our first distillation, we get 22% uh, alcohol, 44 proof. After our second distillation, 55%, about 110 proof. And then about 60, sorry, 81, so 162 proof. And then? Then we bring it down to about cast strength, which is 64%, 128 proof. Yeah. That's uh, sort of standard here at our distillery. So that, it'll go into the barrel at that, at that. Correct. So here then we're playing with cut points. So for our second and third distillation, we distinguish between our weak feints. And you'll see some of our liquid running off the stills now. So we're essentially taking what other distilleries would have called their heads, their hearts and tails. We're separating three distillates um, off each of our runs. Okay, so we've got our, our weak feints, so we can see on the left-hand side, and we'll have our strong feints and our spirit on the right. So for the second and third distillation, we'll take the most pure flavorsome cut. It will influence the flavor and style. A head distiller makes those spare cuts as she sees fit to essentially articulate the flavor we're trying to create, mm -hmm. which is a nice gentle spice in the pot still and a green apple, fresh fruit, vibrant note on the malt. Mm -hmm. So, we're in the control room. We're incredibly clinical in everything we do, as, as we can see out there. But here, there's a huge amount of human requirements for tracking. I mean, we've got a lab next door with a million euro worth of equipment, but the nose is still the most valuable thing yeah. we have in our, in our nosing labs for, you know, making sure that the liquid is, is um, at our goal standard that we want to achieve. Secondly, here, you can see the sort of... Uh, meticulous nature of our recording systems on everything from a quality control standpoint. So we're able to monitor any variances in liquid, what that might have been able to cause, look back at the reaction, how we can really tweak it. Now, I've been in many distilleries. I've looked at some of their similar programs. We are incredibly more particular on the most minute of details to extract that little bit more sugar to get that little bit more of a, um, a stronger fresh fruit note, all those little details. Um, our level of analysis from a wash standpoint, our spirit analysis, even our grain analysis, is sort of frightening. I, I don't think people have any idea how complicated the, yeah. the behind-the-scenes science into it is. Right. Well, it, of course, it makes the whole process more efficient, too, so you're, it, Absolutely. you're not wasting. Absolutely, wasting. and I think that's part of the, the ideology of the distillery and, and what we try to do. But even under the distillery floor, which we're on now, it's in truth, it's a mezzanine floor, so underneath is the inner workings of the car. And we never you know, appreciate. It's easy to drive a car, but to build a car is another thing. <laughs> the inner workings are, are quite beautifully designed. So we've got so much 
genius engineering really defined and built into this system. So there's quite an intelligent control room system here that allows us to, for the operators to highlight a problem before it comes up, you know, right. still it's heating up too quickly or something is going to overflow or this pipe is start malfunctioning. It's giving you prompts all the time to indicate what you need to fix, what you need to change, what you need to turn down. So it's a very intelligent system. Yeah. Uh, so let's go out on the distillery floor just a little closer to the stills. Is it okay if we leave that yeah. just here? We're getting more and more people asking about, you know, the Irish coffee is something that people do a lot with Irish whiskey, but how we can modernize it. So yeah. one idea we're playing with is, uh, I don't know if you've, if you've noticed in like really trendy coffee places, they start doing uh, espresso tonic. Oh, really? Yeah, so I, I saw. I got a fancy yeah, coffee. Place. Yeah, I guess uh, <laughs> I've just seen on my travels. So, so it's just co coffee is, with tonic water. So yeah, it's <laughs> essentially like an espresso with tonic. Oh okay. And it just makes it a little more refreshing because, mm. and it obviously builds it into a longer drink. Uh, but the idea of this this is a Tully tonic. This is one of our signatures. It's quite refreshing, easy to drink. But to bring it into the twenty first century. <laughs> We've got a, it's called Sexy Black. It's a nitro cold brew coffee by wow. these cool cool guys from Patty and Scott's. Just, that's it. So, I need to go crazy and put in a straw. <laughs> it's crazy. Nitro Tully Tonic. Hmm. And look at the consistency. It has a head a little like yeah. Guinness. <laughs> it looks like a Guinness. Um, because, see, they use nitrogen, so when you open it up, they change in atmospheric pressure, explodes the widget, and it releases the nitrogen. And you heard that sound. Yeah. It's quite, <laughs> a, quite an epic little sound, and it's um, quite wow. a tasty little drink. Uh, so I think we're just trying to play around, because, you know, as you, like, having been in New York, and you know this too, bars are always looking for something different. Mm. Right now, I'm seeing as a trend nitro coffee. Uh, stateside um, nitro and cold brew coffee. Yeah. And just, you know, that's something we never had. So I think it stemmed from the idea of like, there was such a love of iced coffee. Right. We don't have iced coffee here. Like, it, it's, no. I think it, it briefly might have started in some of the Starbucks only from tourists asking for it. But an <laughs> iced coffee in Ireland, and I, I used to try and get it because I was used to it in the States. Yeah. And you just couldn't get it. It was really annoying. <laughs> so suddenly, out of nowhere, uh, cold brew comes out, becomes very popular. This slower release of you know flavors essentially from the coffee beans, nitro a little bit of a cooler, probably more hipster twist on it, yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, I think it's going to be big. So we're going to see what we can do with these guys. We've got some cool sort of experiments coming up, and uh, to see what you know, bring the an Irish coffee into the 21st century. So you know, I can make an Irish coffee old school, yeah, uh, and they're beautiful, but yeah, um, there's sort of certain times of years, you know, in Ireland. We wouldn't really drink one in the in the warmer times of years at all. No. Uh, tourists sort of do, but yeah. in a sense, there are certain like there's bars in Dublin that, that have become they're like Irish coffee is like our Guinness. People come for the Irish coffee now yeah. as much as so. It's still a really important drinking culture for whatever reason. Obviously, Tullamore has a very fascinating story with it. Do you know you know the whole story with Tullamore Jim and. So the, the biggest uh, co Irish coffee account, uh, the biggest whiskey account on the planet is the Buena Vista in San Francisco. Right. They do about 3,000 cases of Tullamore Jew a year. Yeah. They're monsters. They do, you know, they do 2,000 Irish coffees on a Saturday. Yeah. 2,000 Irish coffees. <laughs> so 
they started using Tullamore way back when, like in the 50s, when they started up. So in the early 50s, they get going and they start creating and perfecting. So they didn't, I guess, it's wrong to say they created the Irish coffee, but they sort of perfected it and popularized it. Yeah. So suddenly now, if I go to Tallinn for St. Patrick's Day, which I did in Estonia, they have you know Irish coffees and bars and everyone knows what it is. So it's become a global drink. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, if you go to Paris in a certain place, they'll have a French coffee, a Bailey's kind, and an Irish coffee. <laughs> it's, it usually won't necessarily be well made, but there's little tricks to the trade. Uh, I'd be interested in what you think of the old-fashioned and the other one, which you yeah. liked or didn't like, or, or what yeah, you I liked, liked the, about I liked, I liked the old-fashioned very much. Um, it's um, a, little, a little sweeter than I would make mine, you know, mine for myself. Yep. But... Um, so you'd have more whiskey, or you'd have yeah. diluted it more? I, I uh, well, I mean, when I make an old fashioned, I'll mm. put just a drop, a, a drop of simple syrup. Mm -hmm. I'll use uh, Angostura uh, aromatic, yes, and, and a drop of orange as well. Okay. And then, um, but I'll I'll start in a glass. I'll, I'll start in a mixing cup. Yeah. And then um, put it over fresh ice. That's with nice. Orange, orange twist. That's that's how I do mine. Beautiful. And people. Uh, people like them. People go crazy for them. Because you're right, it, it does depend on the person. That's one thing about old fashioned. Some people do prefer uh, sweeter styles. Yeah. Uh, I actually, in fact, know a lot of people that do go a little bit sweeter, and I, I'd be more inclined to have a, as little simple syrup. Just for me, it's it's a quick hello in there. That's all. I, I know. And uh, a little bit of bitters, but. I have mixed feelings about the old fashioned to begin with. It's like you want to put what in my whiskey? Yeah. <laughs> it's just I like the whiskey. It's I know. On its own. It's good. That's, <laughs> it's very true. So. An espresso martini with um, Tully. That sounds great. Okay, that's the final, final episode of Bartender Journey from my trip. I've been uh, all around. Hopefully you've been following along and uh, enjoyed my time in Ireland very much. Great people, uh, great pub scene. It's so nice to see, you know, the, the pubs are just full of people all the time. It's local people, you know, mother and a daughter might be hanging out together or even three generations of the family might be hanging around together. The, the hotels are really interesting too. You see that a lot in the uh, in the hotels. Just people. Uh, Full of people, full of local people in the hotels and the lobbies and the restaurants and the pubs. Uh, so it's a great place, Ireland. Recommend it if you ever get a chance to go. Dublin's a lot of fun, and uh, it was nice to see some of the outskirts, uh, you know, the, the, out, out of the major city as well. So, cheers, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time on the Bartender Journey Podcast. Slotcha.